It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're on the edge of Holy Week. Palm Sunday begins, well, Palm Sunday is on Sunday. It doesn't begin, it is on Sunday. Um, so Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. That's the sentence I had planned to say. Um, and uh, that, that is next week we move into uh, Holy Week. There'll be stuff on the website about the various things that we've got going on there. But we're really looking forward to kind of leaning into this season with you. We are talking again this morning about the Lord's table. Uh, our, our track, if you think about it so far that we've been on throughout Lent, we started with baptism. We talked about baptism as this, as this deep symbolic moment, but we then explained what we mean by symbol is that, that things which have depth beyond what we see at surface level. So there's something of mystery in that. We then transitioned the next week. Tyson spoke uh, on the feeding of the 5,000 and how John's gospel presents that story to us as an invitation to the table, whoever we are. And then we followed, kind of a couple of weeks after that, we followed on conversations about how the table forms in the early church, how they meet together, and how they remember and see and know that God is with them. And then last week, we kind of tried to explore a little bit the mystery of what the table does by both when we come to Christ at the table, we are somehow bound to one another. All of that to say, when we're planning through a teaching series, there's a kind of dialogue process that goes on as we plan a series, trying to imagine what are the questions that people want to ask about these particular subjects. And we try to imagine, as I'm sure you do whenever you're talking to people, what are the sort of things that people want to think about around this particular subject? And that sort of shapes the things that we have talked about. However, I want to have a conversation around some of that this morning because something that's come to us that we've been aware of, and if you remember when we first started framing this idea of having dialogue together as a community and pausing our sermons to talk to one another, we did say when we first started doing this, we, we as pastors want to listen to what we're saying, to hear what we're saying, and assess whether what we're preaching is helping what you're talking about. And some things come up consistently throughout this series, and I don't know if you've heard it, but we've definitely heard it, and it sort of hit its peak last week, whereas in both services, our 9 a.m. and our 11 a.m. service, the same question was tabled. And the question is around, are we welcome at the table? And, and for me, the question was fascinating because we were trying to frame a conversation around certain theological pieces, certain mystical and mysterious pieces about the communion table. We were thinking about how the communion table shapes our worship. And I realized that all of that conversation is at some level moot if your position in the room is, but am I welcome at the table? Like, you know, you might listen and go, yes, I hear what you're saying, I believe what you're saying, I accept what you're saying, but my experience has been that I can't come to the table. So I wanted to sort of have a kind of family chat this morning. <laughs> um, because I don't want to do theology if you don't think you're welcome. <laughs> and, and, and I don't want you to be able to pass exams on what happens at the communion table if you don't feel that you can participate. Uh, because... Ironically, if you remember our sermon last week, when we don't feel welcome to participate at the table, that is the table of judgment, right? Think of what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 11. It's when we ignore how other people feel and experience and what's going on in the lives of others when we come to the table. Paul says, this is judgment that you're bringing upon yourselves because you're not doing it as a family. 
So I wanna have a family chat. This is how we're gonna do a family chat. For some of you, this is like the worst thing ever that's gonna ever happen in church for you, okay? And for some of you, you're being like, I have waited for this day for many years, okay? And, and I'm not gonna profile you based on which side of that you come from. So here are the rules. You don't need to participate in this, okay? I'd love you to talk to each other very briefly. And I know this is a shocking idea that church people would talk to one another while in a service, but I'm going there. If this is your first time we don't ordinarily do this, this may bomb badly and we may never do it again. So please don't judge us based on what happens in the next two or three minutes. But what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to talk to somebody nearby. Now, if this is like terrifying for you, like just don't, okay? Just like figure some way to pass the message to other people that you are not participating. Like a frown, it's a really good way to do that, okay? Um, just leave, uh, no, I'm joking, don't do that, okay? <laughs> um, you know, little kids, I've noticed, little kids do this thing. Have you ever noticed when you try to talk to a baby that doesn't wanna to talk to you? It just does this. You know, so you could try that, right, okay? So if this is really terrifying for you, then I apologize. Please don't feel that you have to initiate any conversation with anyone. But for, for the rest of us, um, I want you to talk to each other. I want you to talk about communion, but I want you to talk about something very particular about the Lord's table. I want you to talk about your experience or understanding or exposure to ideas of exclusion at the table. Now, hear me well. I'm not asking for you to be theologically accurate. I'm not asking for you to tell your theological opinion on what's happening. I'm asking you to talk about what you have seen or experienced or heard about people being excluded from the table. Do you get what I'm saying? So you don't need to show off how well you know about communion. I'm curious as to why is it that people sometimes feel they cannot come to the table? You can tell your own story. You can pretend it's not your story. Just say, I heard a story once, right? Uh, don't use those words now though because people will know that that's actually your story. But use something along that sort of line, you're gonna talk about how have you heard about people being excluded from the table? Now, full disclosure, I am then gonna ask you about that afterwards, okay? You don't have to speak there either, but this is where I want to go because what I want us to do is have a pastoral conversation this morning that, that let's not worry so much about all of the theological stuff we've done in this series so far, all of the practical and justice-focused stuff we've done in this series so far. I wanna talk this morning about why is it that sometimes people feel they cannot come to the table. There's no kind of plot to this, this morning's talk time. Where I want to end up is that we realize we're all welcome. So that's where we're going, okay? Just in case you're worried there's some jeopardy in this sermon, we're gonna end up at a place where we say the table is open to everyone, but here's where it's coming from for me. I feel like we say that every week, but as I'm listening to you in our dialogue times throughout this series, I don't know that we're saying it clearly enough. So I wanna have that conversation. If you're comfortable, we're gonna bring the lights up just ever so slightly. Jordan will put some West Side appropriate music on and, uh, and you will talk or pretend to talk about where you've seen exclusion at the table. Is that okay? We'll do this for about two minutes or until you all look angry at me. All right? <laughs> Go. <laughs> All right, well, some of you, that was the best thing that happened in church in a long time, and some of you spent the time Googling other churches in the area. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know what, I'm just gonna say this, it's a sidetrack, except it's actually not a sidetrack. If you think about the piece that we talked about last week, that the Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, or is it 15 and 16, actually, it's on the screen, hold this thing. 
this one here, 16 and 17. Um, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Just Let me just speak very briefly before I ask your questions, but let me just speak to what we just did, which actually I think is an important part of being church, is that actually we talk to each other. Uh, and, and for some of us, it is horrifyingly bad to talk to each other. But even just being present to a conversation can be really formative for us. But I want to encourage us that, that one of the things the table does is it brings us to cognizance that we are united, not just metaphorically, but somehow metaphysically, we share with Jesus and with each other. One of the strange things that happens in church is a lot of people gather together in a room regularly, and, and I know this as a pastor, a lot of us in this room are lonely. A lot of these people in this room actually don't have enough friends, don't have enough community, don't have enough people praying for me, and I want to create spaces in our gatherings that we might do something about that. It's why we do a coffee break, by the way, in this vain hope that somebody might talk to somebody over coffee. No. Let me, just, let, me just make this, let me make this really obvious observation. When you meet somebody over coffee in church, you know something about them already. They like coffee. Um, and, and at some point in our kind of capitalist society, people were like, what if we created spaces that people that like coffee could go and have coffee together? They're called coffee houses. And um, so just as a guess, if you, if you kind of meet somebody one day at the coffee iron back there, they might also drink coffee during the week. And, and, and maybe you could go, hey, do you want to get coffee together at some point? I'm not asking you guys to get married, um, but, but maybe you'll meet someone that you like and be friends with someone and, and actually be drawn into the beauty of what the church does, which is brings us around the table in all of our diversity and draws us in unity together. So I'm just kind of throwing that out there, that when we're done today, those people you talked to a minute ago, like maybe you could talk to them again. It's a hard sell. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like, no. Like, that's the face that I'm feeling right like. It's like, no, I hear you, no. I'm just gonna leave that with you. Now we're gonna talk about what we're actually talking about. Tyson's joined me, because he kind of got us into trouble with this series right at the very start when you were talking about uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter six. But one of the pieces you really pushed on was this, there's a way to read this story to see that welcome is what's in the story because it, well, let me not preach your sermon for you. No, that's okay. Yeah, and it was one of the fascinating things, I think, even around the conversation around communion or Eucharist, as we've kind of thrown a few different terms out throughout this series, is that communion was not this afterthought for the church of something that the bread and the wine was gonna represent as they go, as they reflected upon what Jesus did on the cross. It was actually in Jesus's mind right from the beginning, which is what we see in that feeding of 5,000 where Jesus is, has a bunch of people gathered. And what we learn from the very subtleties of the text, which is always fascinating, is that it was barley loaves, which was the type um, of bread of poor and marginalized and outcasts of that time. So there's this gathering of kind of misfits uh, around Jesus, that Jesus does a feeding miracle. And often we teach the miracle itself as meeting kind of this, you know, need of people that were hungry, which is definitely there. But if, as we continued to follow that story, we saw this religious debate start to show up mm. around Passover and what Jesus was doing. And Jesus clearly was tying this feeding of 5,000 misfits, well, 5,000 men and then women and children. Um, so 5,000 misfits. <laughs> so 5,000 misfits and then a bunch of other better people. So um, 
right? Uh, but <laughs> we'll fight patriarchy every way we can. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, but then this, this, this fascination around what was happening and how mm-hmm. Jesus refers himself to this heavenly bread and, and really is starting to draw this, whoever eats of this bread is, is with Jesus mm-hmm. and, and tying it to the fact that there was this open welcome that Jesus, you know, in, in kind of this sacrilegious way of the day was, had just finished eating with a, a widespread of people who yeah. most people would not have shared a table with. And Jesus yeah. was saying, actually, no, there's this welcome to the table for whoever wants to come and encounter Christ, they can come. And if in case you missed what I just did, that was well, you that know, was. what he was alluding to. Yeah. And, and so what we wanna hear really, and at some level, you, maybe you came for a sermon this morning, so I apologize, but I, I don't want to just barrel along with the journey about conversations about the centrality, conversations about the importance, if we haven't dealt with something that even at the, you know, in, in the Feeding of the 5,000, John chapter six, it's very, very early in the story of John. Jesus is pushing out this narrative of everyone's welcome. Right? You wanna follow Jesus, you're welcome at his table. You wanna confess him as Lord, you're welcome at his table. But my experience is, and in listening to the dialogue over the last month, that is not all of our experiences. That, that several of us in this room have multiple potentially reasons as to why we don't necessarily feel welcome at the table, or there's someone we know that doesn't feel welcome at the table. So, uh, Kristen has the microphone, and Jen has a microphone, I believe. Um, if they don't, I've just outed them as uh, just uh, having to find a microphone. So, what we'll do it like we normally do, uh, is just if you have a question, uh, throw your hand up. We will uh, get the microphone to you and you know, ask you, ask, you make your comment. It's not actually a question, sorry. If, if you've got a comment, hey, we talked about this, I've encountered that, here's what we were wondering, then let's, let's hear what we're talking because I want, to, I want to create space to hear our experience so that we can then speak to where do we want to be as a community in this process. So who wants to go first? Okay, we have, I have one down here. And have you and got one at the back, Kristen? Well, Jen, do you want to bring the microphone down the front and Kristen will go to the back and... Uh, we'll start with Kristen's. We only had one mic in the first service and Kristen did like, uh, I think, 17,000 steps. So <laughs> we're just trying to protect Kristen a little bit in this service. So uh, just down here, Jen. So yeah, let's go with the question at the back. I was wondering if you could explain the phrase, do not eat and drink judgment to yourself. Mm. Okay, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take notes because I did it... I did this in the first service and I decided I was going to memorize it all and uh, that was not a good plan. Um, so, uh, so the question about judgment, right, let's say. Uh, is that how you spell judgment? I can't really read your writing if I'm being honest. Okay. But. <laughs> By the way, pro tip, pro tip, if you ever do have to use uh, like a whiteboard, this is just nothing to do with the sermon, but like if you're not sure how to spell something, just do this. There you go. And uh, that's better. I can tell yeah, that that and, one's judgment. That's and, definitely, yeah. And nobody knows, like, I don't know how to spell that word. Um, you know, so, uh, okay, so, so there's a question. So I'm not going to answer all your questions directly because I'd love to hear, like, so please don't, if you've gone, oh, that was what I had, feel free, to, feel free to say that again. But just a quick question to all of you with either a wave of the hand or some sort of audible groan. Uh, anybody relate to that question? 
Somebody groaned. I really appreciate whoever it was that did not leave me hanging on the groan. I appreciate that. So yeah, so quite a few of us in the room have gone like, oh yeah, that's a question that we've had and wondered about. So yeah, question down here. And if somebody asks a question, put your hand up. Kristen will move the microphone while we're hearing this question. Or comment, sorry. Mike. Oh, there we go. Cool. Okay. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, yeah, my comment is that um, I was raised Buddhist and then I went on a Christian journey. Um, I was baptized in the Catholic Church and uh, very much just trying to figure out how to do this journey with Christ. Mm -hmm. And in regards to communion, what was so confusing for me was that um, I thought it was great that I could start receiving communion because that was such a beautiful union with Christ. Then all of a sudden I was told, well, if you sin, you need to go to confession before you can receive communion because you can't receive communion when you're not clean. And yet there was this understanding um, that being in communion with Christ purifies us because the more that we are in union with him, we're going to be more purified of our sins. Um, and yet you can't go to him if you've sinned. And so there was a real um, dichotomy of just being able to get around the idea that um, you're not worthy if you have sinned in order, like not worthy of receiving communion. Okay, so let's, I'm just going to write the word sin uh, mm -hmm. there and, and ask, there's a question around that. Do you think that's a fair summary? Yep. Of, um, so is there something that I have done um, you know, that I need to deal with before I go, you know, so what do I need to do first at some level is maybe the question in there. Yeah, and I think that comes out of First Corinthians text often. Is there one back? I think we've got one. Just a question before we just, yeah, we'll take your question just a second, oh, yeah. but so anybody relate to that? So again, audible groan or wave of the hand, that sense of, yeah, we're getting into the groans and people are beginning to, yeah. Like there's something in the groan, isn't there? There's like, you know, it's like, oh, this is a spiritual thing. I needed, I had nothing to do with this sermon. I just needed to groan somewhere this after the week that I've just had. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's a new spiritual gift. You know, that we, so, so yeah, so again, so you're not alone. Uh, a lot of us sat in the room going, ah, yeah, you know, there's sometimes this, uh, like, you know, have I done something that means I shouldn't take communion? Okay, so uh, we've I've got, lost We've got track two. Of, we have, so. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go we'll this go to way Kristen first. We'll go and then Jen, just. Up anyway, children were not allowed to partake in communion. Children, yeah, okay, thank you. Again, anybody, anybody not sure about children and communion? Okay, yep, a couple of us. Anybody just not sure about children? <laughs> no, okay. Um, we asked a different question to the children. The, the results are not good. The children not sure about yeah, not sure, like no. not sure about parents. And, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we'll deal with that in a different seminar at some other point. Um, uh, Jen. Uh. Okay. Yes. From a pastor on the stage saying that if you have conflict with a brother or sister within the congregation, you are not to come until that is uh, taken care of. Yeah. Anyone, any experience of that? Heard that? Yep. So... I see that hand. This is very affirming for, for, for those of us that have grown up within Pentecostal tradition. A lot of hands. It's, uh, you know. um, do we have anyone else? Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I just wanted to add on to what uh, the lady said there about uh, growing up uh, in the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was in the Anglican faith, and um, there was a lot of exclusion 
with regards coming to the table to, to partake in the uh, with the bread and the body of Christ. Um, and, but what I find till today, it still exists. I've attended recently some Catholic events, even in a funeral or things like that, and they and they're, they make the call for people to come to the altar, and they still put out that exclusion fact. If you are not baptized Catholic, please do not come to partake. Mm-hmm. And I still find that quite odd today, that we're still in this, in this day and age, rather than welcoming everybody to the table, we're still having segregation and kind of, some kind of exclusion to come to the table. Mm-hmm. So I'm going I'm to kind of categorize that as, as ritual requirement. There's an, Jen, I think there's one. Just, but just, just, anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay, so like, is there something that I need to do? Do I need to be baptized? Do I need to be confirmed? Uh, so yeah, this, these, are, these are really helpful comments. And just what I want you all to hear is even as you're asking the question, notice that not yet have we had a question where everyone in the room's like, nope. No relation to that, right? So, um, I mean, un- until now, perhaps, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but, like, hear that. Like, for your own journey, you're not alone, right? Okay, so, so communion is creating complexity for some of us, right? Because of, and it's interesting, all of us have history, right? And we have past, and our past is creating some complexity for us. So, so even regardless of what happens here this morning, you are not alone. So I think Kristen has one. Sorry, man, yeah, keep no, I'm just trying to. I'm just. I'm, I'm just, just trying, trying to, to coordinate everybody this. Here, I know. Man, so it's like. That's <laughs> good. That's good. Yeah, you, you, you. Yeah, you I'll lead. Just try to keep uh, track. So I think we got Kristen. <laughs> Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." Hmm. How do I remember Jesus if I don't know him? That's a great question. Yeah, and then Kristen, there's actually a question at the back. There's a hand that's up, but we'll go to Jen for now while you run. But you'll want to ask that question of people who are like. Yeah, to yeah. This well, you, we... you're, you're welcome to. <laughs> Well, I thought we had, now our roles are getting a little blurry. It's true. (laughs) So again, question. So is there a question about what if I'm not sure about whether I, well, let me just add, what if I don't believe in Jesus? Where does that leave me? Anyone curious about that? Does that create a conversation in us that's like, I'm not sure, or I'm not sure where my own faith is at? That, yep, there's a few of us in that sort of space, like, well, what does that mean? So notice this. This is fascinating. Like, we're not, we're not repeating ourselves yet, but there's always someone else in the room going, yeah, I've wondered about that. Like, so this is really, I hope you're hearing this sense of togetherness in this. Yeah. All right. you know, we come from a church tradition that did not include communion. Oh, interesting. Um, but it was a church that it focused on feeding others, feeding the poor, that sort of thing, which I think we always saw is a form of communion. Mm. Uh, so communion, as we take it here, is a little bit foreign to us. Mm. And I, I guess the question I always wrestle with is, can you be a Christian church without communion? Mm. Or can communion look like something other than you know, what is done at, at this church? Fascinating question. I don't even know what word I was going for there. <laughs> I'm going to go with required. <laughs> there you go. I'm not actually sure what word I was trying to write. So, are we? I can't see through. Okay, we, oh, we've got one. No, there's more one at the there's one at the back, and actually, I think another one. Down here. A lot of comments. I'm liking um, this. Why do people feel forced by other people to take communion? Okay. Yeah, that's a 
It's an interesting question to think about. Yeah. Anybody ever feel forced to take communion? Or some way participate in it when they didn't really want to? I'm curious, because that's, I think that's a really good question. I have, I have spoke to people in many church contexts where it's like, I'm not sure if I want to participate in this, but it feels like I'm saying something if I don't. So, uh, yeah, so the question over here. So. I can, maybe it's part of um, people, people not, not sure what uh, the cup and uh, sort of the bread and the cup, what it becomes. Like, mm. And you did that symbol mm. two weeks ago, yeah. which, is, which is great. And it, in some churches, it does become... Mm-hmm. Christ's body. Yeah. So the welcoming, that's maybe where that line becomes the, the meaning of it. Yeah. So there's definitely some... Uh, anybody ever wonder what actually happens at the table? I, I know that you're not alone on that. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you a different question. Who wants to come and take the mic and explain exactly what happened? <laughs> so let me ask the question again. Anybody a little unclear on what happens at the table? Okay. And you really, you, 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 so everybody is, hands up, you're clear what happens at the table? See, now you're just not answering my questions. <laughs> you can't be absolutely clear and not clear at all. You have to choose one. I'm with you, brother. Okay, so, and I have a PhD, okay, and I have no idea what happens at the table, right? Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I wanna confess that, right? Um, but actually, but on purpose, I wanna confess that. So I'm gonna work my way backwards through these. That one of the brokennesses of the modern Western world is that we want to be able to explain everything because that's how we show power, right? Um, if I can explain it, I can control it. Right? And here's a little side note that you'll spot if you read the Old Testament. God doesn't like being controlled. Right? So one of the beautiful invitations of the table is into the mystery of it. Uh, is actually don't try and over-explain this. Right? Um, because if you do, you will always minimize God. There must be some space in our hearts that says something. Right? And I love the theological weight of the word something. Something is happening at the table. And can I be humble? And I'm not saying you're not humble, forgive me. But I'm asking myself is, can I be humble enough to participate in something that the actual process isn't entirely clear to me? What I do know is it still tastes like bread, but the text says, this is my body. Right? So I want to live in the mystery of that that things can be more than just physical, they can be metaphysical, there can be depth to them. Um, but I tell you what I have noticed across the years is Christians can spend a lot of time trying to define that precisely. And when we're often when we're trying to define exactly what happens at the table, we're often not asking the question, how is the table bringing me to Christ and bringing me to each other as well? And so, so I appreciate you putting that question on the table because I think it's actually a question that we need to think about our answer to. And why is it that our, as you asked the question, I'm almost convinced there was a whole group of us in the room reacted in a particular way. Oh, you had a theological response formed as to what you think happens at the table. And what I wanna say to you with the best pastoral heart that I can is to say, try and resist that tendency to immediately form in your head your knowledge of what's happening at the table and rather lean back into the mystery that somehow Christ is bigger than us and has called us to participate in something. And if you're in this sort of belief system that it physically becomes the bread of Jesus or you're just like in the other end of that spectrum, let's just confess 
but Jesus is bigger than us regardless of what we think that happens at the table. And I don't mean that to be washy on it. If you actually notice, the New Testament doesn't speak to the physics of the process because I think it wants to call us into the mystery of the process. So I really appreciate you, you raising that. So let's see, is there one more question? I think um, we've got two okay, actually two. lined right. up. Let's do two more and then um, otherwise we'll just have lots of comments and uh, no time just to try and attempt to speak to them. So Jen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, did, I did go on for a long time there. Apologies. I was super energized by your question. I was like, yes, that's the question I want to speak to. And um, okay, go for it. It was well played. Um, it's a couple of little pieces. Uh, my daughter's gone off to the um, house, but she said, I don't know about this. Um, no thanks. Uh, this idea of the the body and the blood mm. and I'm imagining she's thinking vampires so mm. um that is a valid thing and then the other thing is is personally um my Christian journey started in my teen years and so I didn't grow up in a church and so communion is a church thing that church people do and yeah. so how do I be a Christian without these little you know, secret handshakes that go on. So mm, mm. those are pieces of my communion experience. Yeah. And um, also, um, I guess, you know, there's that sort of supernatural thing that you think is going to happen. And what if I don't feel anything? So am I, you know, what's mm. going on with me? Oh. So those are my components there. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, anybody relate to any of that? Yep, there we go, there we go. So, um, so what I'm learning is you're happy to respond to questions of feeling, but when I ask you where you stand theologically, everybody wants to stay really quiet. Is that, is that our thing now? <laughs> so one last question yeah, uh, from, I forget, it's Kristen at the back, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks, my name is Maria Vanderham. Two, two things come to mind. One, in the family I grew up in, the, uh, you couldn't take communion if you were living in sin and that mm. meant that you were having sex with someone and you weren't married. Mm. And then the second reflection I'm having on this topic is having been raised in a uh, Catholic tradition and then explored many others among Protestant among them, that the Catholics always had wine and I wondered why the Protestants didn't bring out the wine. <laughs> Thank you. Mostly, Mostly because of sex. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the two are related in a way that we're uncomfortable with. Um, sorry. This is why we don't do this. <laughs> yeah, that's why there's a script. Yeah, I'm just going to, just for the sake of everybody that's watching on the podcast, I'm just going to write sex and wine uh, on the notes here. Um, and uh, I... I I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, wow, um, I mean, great, great, great comments. I mean, we could, well, let me say, let me say a couple of things uh, first. Um, some of this informs the sort of conversations that we want to have on an ongoing nature uh, with you all. So I apologize if we don't speak as well to your comment or question as you'd like us to, it's not forgotten, right? So this is, this is like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to work with this. We're, we're going we're gonna to think about this. But I do want to speak to some of these things. Um, let me say something 
just initially, and then while I'm saying that, you kind of think about which one you want to jump into first. Here's what I, here's what I think we're trying to do. Um, sorry, no, here is what we are trying to do uh, in this conversation throughout this month, and then to think about how we gather around the Lord's table in future. I want to, I want to ensure that our bar is lowered. At, I'm just talking about this community. Right? So forgive me if the way that we speak now is uncomfortable for the tradition that you come from. I'm not passing comment on the tradition that you came from. Uh, we're saying at this community, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to lower the bar as to who's welcome at the table. Right? And I want to talk about how low we want to lower that in just a moment's time, but we want to lower the bar. But while we're lowering the bar, we want to simultaneously raise the respect that we have for the table. Now, those two things don't often go together, right? Often lowering the bar means I care less. Actually, what I want you to hear in the midst of everything that we're saying is the bar is low because this is really important. Right? Uh, we want to live in, you know, and that's why I really appreciated the question about the theology of it. You know, we want to live in the mystery of the table, right? That, that you don't need to answer a quiz to come uh, to the table. You don't need to agree with us on what you think is happening in the table, okay? I am convinced there are people in this room who have different views about what happens at the table. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> that people in this room have different views on stuff? Um, you know, that, like, I am not certain that Tyson and I agree completely with what's going on at the table, right? That is not important, right? We both agree that the table is an important part of gathering as Jesus sees people around the table. The journey is not that we agree eye to eye with what's happening here. The journey is, can we meet Jesus here? And will the meeting of Jesus here change how we behave to one another and the commitment that we have? So can we lower the bar because it's so important, right? If we actually keep the bar high and start to exclude people, well, maybe we can exclude you because it's not such a big deal anyway. Maybe we can fall out over our theological difference because, well, you know, what does it matter? What we're hoping you're hearing from us is it matters, right? All through Christian history, the table is central to the Christian gathering. But what we've done over the years is a very classically human thing, isn't it? That when you think something's important, you start to protect it. And you start to build fences and walls and you start to gatekeep it. But what you seem to see in the New Testament, going back to your sermon uh, a few you know, weeks ago, is that Jesus is like, this is my body and this is my blood and it's open for all. Right? And that's not what we encounter often in, in life. So what I hope you hear is that's what we're trying to do here. If anybody asks you like, what the heck is that church doing with communion? that you quote us on this. We're trying to lower the bar and raise our respect, okay? And I'm convinced people take it more seriously in light of that when we mm. explain really what it is. And I mean, there's so many things up on that screen to even consider and start thinking about. And I yeah. think for us then the confession of the, the, the low bar and the seriousness of the table is that at the table is where we as individuals and as a community confess the lordship of Jesus. Yes. So the question of, you know, knowing Jesus, unsure of what to do about Jesus, maybe have no interest in Jesus is probably the one implication that we would say, well, you probably wouldn't want to come to the table in that mm -hmm. situation because of what you're doing at the table, which is the confession of Jesus. 
as, as Lord. Mm. Um, and so I think that's really the, the, the piece for us that, uh, and how, I guess how that then unites us to each other yes. in that reality as a community of people, um, which is what Paul is getting at within that first Corinthians text. And I know there's, you know, comment about, you know, the, the judgment and all yes. of those things in there, but the, the communion piece was this deeply tied community coming yeah. together, the flattening, um, of hierarchy that went against the social norms. Yes that said everyone is welcome, the outcast, the misfits, anyone who wants to encounter Jesus encounters him here. And we all receive the same thing because we're all on the same playing field mm. because we're all confessing Jesus as Lord in this place. I think that, um, let me see, if I do this, do I, you know, we don't lose all the notes. Let me come back to uh, here. So yeah, actually, notice this. So the text that RJ led us into communion from, very familiar to you. Most of you could probably, if you've been in church more than a little while, probably can almost recite that from memory. You've heard it so many times. But notice what Paul does. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's death is a little bit of, of, a, of what we call a metonym going on here. It's a, it's a phrase that is doing more than just speaking about the fact that Jesus died. Right? It's, it, you see this all the way through the New Testament. They talk about the cross. Do they mean a bit of wood outside of Jerusalem? No, they mean the journey of Jesus and what the cross symbolizes. When the cross, and you, Paul argues this in all, all of his letters actually, has brought all of us together in all of our diversity and disunity. So notice what Paul does then. He says, so when you eat this and drink this, you proclaim, you could translate this quite legitimately like this. You, you proclaim all that Christ has done for us, okay? So then he goes on to say, but what if you drink it in an unworthy manner? Now pay attention to the text. Unworthy manner is, is defined here as coming to the table with no regard for your neighbor, right? We have been brought together in Christ. And Paul's like, some of you are being brought together in Christ and are quite literally coming to the table and eating all the food. And some people are coming later to the table and there is no food left and they are starving and dying as a result. And you think that's church, right? And Paul's like, in the Greek, it's really clear. Like, what the heck is wrong with you? That's, no, it's not the literal Greek, right? Okay, but, but Paul's like, like, seriously, this is this abominable behavior. And actually, you are, the judgment that you're bringing upon yourself is you're clearly not the church. You don't care for one another. And, but remember, the table brings us to Jesus and binds us to each other. What we've done, I think, by, by just kind of reading particular lines is we've inserted our interpretation of what judgment means. And therefore, what's happened across Christian history, you see, I had a bad thought, I did a bad thing, to your point earlier, you know, Protestant Christians have been obsessed with sex for about 500 years. And, uh, and so, like, there's nothing worse than we can imagine than people having sex. Um, that's a slow-burning joke, sorry. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the church, like, the church needs to think very clearly and very cautiously about sexuality, but most of the way that we're doing it is terribly bad. So, I mean, I'm sure there's people in the room who have heard this, living in sin, and we know exactly what that means. When we hear living in sin, we're definitely referring to people with a greed problem, right? <laughs> or a jealousy problem, <laughs> or an envy issue, or a lack of self-control. No, we're always talking about sex, right? Um, and as if it's the only sin that excludes us from God, and it's, it's a slightly complex thing for us to deal with there. And we then impose that onto these sort of readings and start excluding people from the table, right? 
Now, hear the irony, okay? Read this text carefully. Make this your homework for the week. Notice what Paul's saying. What makes this table invalid is that some people are being excluded from it, okay? So when we read this text and say, oh, this gives us the rule as to who's excluded, what Paul's actually saying is, you are excluding people by your behavior, ergo, this is not the table of the Lord, So I think we always as the church need to tread very, very carefully when we start excluding people because we, the church, run the risk of devaluing and actually essentially disqualifying the table. Does that make sense? Yes. So, But it's not how we've been taught to read this text. We've been taught to read this text of analyze yourself and find out why you should be excluded. Whereas what Paul's actually saying is exclusion is a serious problem. Well, and this is where I think we have to be careful of how we, in the lens that we read these things in, because we often read this stuff in a very hyper-individualistic culture that shapes mm-hmm. us, that we're all a part of, and miss the context of Paul's world that he's in, which was a deeply defined communal way of living of you were always sharing in meals with people. There was always this coming together and who you sat at the table with shaped who you were. And and, and so that's what Paul is getting at is this larger community picture of what it means to be the body of Christ at a, you know, at a more metaphorical level as the community of believers. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so here's, like, hear what Tyson just said there, right? That one of the problems is we always make ourselves, it sounds like something we've been saying a lot at Westside recently, we make it all about ourselves. And, and therefore, because we can't get our head round that the table brings us to Christ and each other, we assume that the judgment that's being referenced must to be something individual and personal. It cannot be my behavior towards the person beside me. Here's what, here's what I want to do. I'm just bouncing back and forward through my very well-planned presentation, as you can tell. Um, here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round up, uh, quite literally round up, some of my colleagues this week, and let's have a conversation about this, which we'll record and push onto our podcast, where we'll actually speak to some of these things a little bit more individually, so you'll be able to catch that and, and sort of track with that. I don't know if they all have time to do that, but I'm just going to say that we'll do it. And Is that okay? Um, sure. And... Um, but here, I want you to notice something. Like, so have a quick kind of, take a glance at these sort of, I mean, you, if you can read my handwriting, these sort of things that are on there, right? And because and, here's, here's what I want you to take away from today, right? Hold them in your mind. And then let me show you this, which we say every single time we share Eucharist together at Westside. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. Okay, so let's just do a very brief exegesis of this, which we say every single week. So if it's the Lord's table, not the church's table, whose responsibility is it to guard it? Okay, we're tracking well. I'm liking where this is going, okay? Um, They're ready to do theological work now. I finally convinced you we can confess our theological positions together. I like it. And when when you ask a question, everyone gets the first answer right, you have hope, you know, (laughs) that it's going well. It's made ready for those who love him. So if you love Jesus, you can come to the table. And for those who want to love him more. Now that's me. Um, I don't know if that's you, uh, but it's definitely me. So I would like to be in the category of those who love him, but I actually am in the category of those who want to love him more. How much more? Well, leave that to you to decide. But if you can put yourself in the category of, I would like to love Jesus more than I do, then you're welcome at the table. And for those of you who have much faith and you who have little, and I think that's me, uh, (laughs) I, uh, I would like to have much faith, 
But in truth, I often have little. Um, I don't know about you, but there are definitely days that I find myself in church not feeling as full of faith as other days. Can you relate? You're welcome at the table, right? You're welcome at the table. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. I've not done the course. I've not been baptized yet. I've not been confirmed yet. I, I, well, do you want Jesus? Uh, should you be baptized? Yes, you should be baptized. Because baptism, in the same way that the table is beautiful, is a beautiful, mysterious moment of, of committing your life to Jesus. But it's not a fence to hurdle in our way of doing church. Okay, again, no comment on what you've experienced. I am baptized, right? I would recommend baptism to anybody that wants to follow Jesus. But I don't think it's a, I'm not ever going to ask someone at the table, have you been baptized? Hear me? We're pushing this towards you for you to decide if you want to come and meet. Look at this one. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. That's definitely me. There are weeks on a regular basis where I'm thinking, I am glad there is not a camera following me around. And my tradition that I grew up in would lead me to sit in the chair on Sunday morning and question whether I should take communion because of the week that I have just had. I don't know if that was your tradition as well. Yeah, no, and I just, all of a sudden it just even popped for, I've read this invitation so many times. For me too, I, the sentence structure of this, you who have tried to follow yeah, yeah. and you who have failed, almost this implication, like it's a, no du- it's a double sentence of, <laughs> the other ones are like, hey, you who have much faith and you who have little, this yes. one is like, you who have tried and failed <laughs> and those of you who have also failed. Just failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's a fascinating, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a you fascinating who have followed statement. without any error. Let's be honest, you're not coming to this church. <laughs> <laughs> you found a far more spiritual bunch of people to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I just all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, how that sentence gets set up. But that's the honesty of it, right? And and I grew up in a tradition that said your failure should make you think hard about whether you come to the table. Here's what I say to you: the reason you need to come to the table is you are going to screw it up this week. All right, not to depress you but you are, okay? You're gonna think bad thoughts. You're gonna say dumb things. You're maybe even gonna do bad things. And you need to come to the table because Jesus knows that. That's why the cross happened because you were not capable of doing this. You know, self-justification is the worst of all sins because it will convince you you can and you cannot. So come to the table because you know you're a failure. Jesus is for losers and that is about the most freeing thing that I think you should ever hear. Right? And, uh, um, but then, let's not forget this, and we are almost done. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. I don't say this with any sense of condemnation, but when you say no, it's not me you're saying no to. Jesus says, come to the table. Do this in remembrance of me. It's an invitation. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight, right? Uh, you don't say no to Jesus, right? He wants you here. So all of that tradition that you've got that's told you you're not good enough, you've not done the right things, you're having too much sex or wine, whichever one it is, you know, that all of the things that you're listing out, all that I would ask you, and Tyson will ask you the same question is, but can you hear Jesus who is saying, come to the table 
you are welcome here because of this beautiful last light. It is his will that those that want him should meet him here. That's how low the bar is for us. If you don't want to meet Jesus, if you don't want to love him more, please feel absolutely comfortable not to come to the table. There is much more we need to say about this, much more we need to unpack about this. But what Tyson and I and the rest of our team hope you hear as you go away today is that the table is deeply, deeply important because Jesus is inviting you to it, which is why the bar is so fundamentally low because this is Jesus that we're talking about. Do you want to have the last word? Oh, I like where you land that. Okay. <laughs> With that then, may God's grace and peace be on all of you and go say hi to someone on your way out. Be Jesus to them because if we met him at the table, we can be exactly that. Grace and peace to you all, my friends.